black preachers who are, are racist in their hearts. Uh, they, are, they are not called by God, but they've been called by their mama. The Jesse Lee Peterson Show is the only program in existence which deals straight up with black Americans. So-called civil rights leaders want them angry, dumbed down, and demoralized. It's not the leaders that blacks need, but good fathers and mothers. Welcome to the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you for tuning in. I want to hear from you. Questions and answers, email me or give me a call. If you have suggestions, people you'd like to see on this show, let me know. Send me their name and phone numbers and we will get in contact with them. Email address or whatever information you may have. But I want to hear from you about how you feel about what we're doing here. Your opinion about these shows, all right? Um, I have with me Pastor Robert Walters, and he's with Our Saviors Lutheran Church in Midland, Texas. That's right? That's right. Thank you, Pastor Walters, for coming on. You bet. I'm glad to be here. All right. I want to talk to you about God, about salvation and all that. Uh, Why is it that so many people go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes twice on Sundays, but yet when you look at their lives, and they say that they believe in God, that they've been yeah. born again. But when you look at the lives, you can see that they are not, I mean, they're not living the life that God would want them to live. Why yeah. is that? That's a really good question. How much time we got? <laughs> <laughs> it's something that troubles me. I know it troubles a lot of pastors yes. because the Christian is supposed to be salt and light. That's right. And yet we're not at all. And we know what Scripture says about that. That right. kind of salt is going to be trampled and thrown out. It is a disturbing thing. I think that we are more cultural Christians than we are Christians in our heart. Meaning what? Meaning that we, we can talk the talk, but we really don't know what it is to live. And I'm wondering if there's something missing in our very heart. You know, the scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and it uses that example when it says you don't pick figs from a thorn bush. Right. And I'm wondering if, if there's something within us, in our very nature, it has not yet been touched by the gospel, not yet been touched by the spirit, so that we are fundamentally changed. Right. I mean, we're just changed in terms of externals, but the heart is still uh, very much what it was before we came to Christ. If your heart haven't changed, are you born again? Uh, you know, the scripture says that God looks at the heart and man looks at the outside. If your heart hasn't been changed, you know, I've got to question whether you are. Yeah, because that's the issue. That's, that's what it right. says. Out of the, you know, the, the heart is the wellspring of life. And if, if the heart is not changed, then that's the essence of the born-again experience. So what would you say to people who say that I've been born again, I've confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'm now a Christian, and they're not living, you know, their lives have not changed. What would you say to them? You know, it's not my role to judge the nature of anybody's heart. You know, right. when God says that man looks at the outside things and God looks at the heart, it's a statement of reality. It's, it's a statement, in fact, that we are limited in what we can see and tell about a person's nature. But it's also a statement that says that God can see straight through all our disguises. Yes. And so when I look at somebody, the first thing I want to avoid is judging them and saying, you know, you're one of God's children, you're not one of God's children. If they're professing Christ, then I take it at face value and say, then you're a child of God. I mean, how much faith does it take, you know? Right. We just have to say, I trust you. So should we, at face value, take people on when they say, you know, I am a child of God. We should just take that at face value? You know, 
I think, I think we need to be, what does the scripture say, wise as serpents and gentle right. as doves. If someone may say, I'm a Christian, I think the question I ask is, well, why do you say that? And they say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. In the world we live today, where there's a kind of a pluralism, religious pluralism, yes. we need to ask, which Jesus is it that you believe in, right? <laughs> right. Because there's, there's all kinds of perceptions of who this Jesus is. The Muslims have a perception of Jesus as a great That's prophet. Right. Okay, you believe in Jesus, which one? And I'm not saying that there were multiple Jesuses, but there are multiple perceptions of who that person is and what is his relationship in your life. Is there a way that we can know a person, if a person is born again or not? Is there a way? Yes. Jesus said, by your fruit, you'll know them. And what does that mean? Do you see the character of Christ? You know, I think we get hung up, and it's a problem in the church, Jesse. We get hung up on the gifts, and we think if somebody has the ability to do miracles, if they can do amazing things. If we see a preacher who's dynamic, there's this charismatic, you know, kind of experience. Uh, and I don't mean necessarily by the, the, the walk of the Spirit. I'm saying right. that they come across with this bold personality, and we think, ah, that's a man of God. That's right. But yet, what does it say in Matthew 7? You know, there are some that prophesy in my name, they cast out demons, and Jesus says, I don't know you. So what, what, what the scripture says to look for is the fruit. Does the person exhibit joy, peace, charity? Are they gracious in their action? And I think the best way to answer that is not how do they act up on stage right. when the lights are on, you know, and the camera's uh, coming in for a close-up. The issue is how do they act at home? Yes. How do they treat their wife? How do they treat their kids? How do they act when nobody's looking? What is, um, is salvation important? Wow. Um, I'd have to say absolutely. <laughs> uh, that, you know, it determines our whole destiny. And yeah. what is salvation? You know, salvation is a word that is very rich. Uh, I think that, uh, sadly, we've tended to condense the word just to speak of the experience when we come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But if we look at the original meaning of the word from the Greek, sodza, it's much richer. It includes all that time in which God was preparing our heart. It includes the time when we cross from one kingdom to the next. It includes the idea of preserving once we've crossed the line so we don't lose ground. And, and so it includes not just the event, but the whole process that leads up to it and the process that follows. It includes healing, for instance. It includes deliverance. So it's a very rich thing. So salvation can mean healing and deliverance. Mm -hmm. Deliverance from what? Well, some of it's deliverance from yourself. Deliverance <laughs> from your own salvation. I mean, right. from your own selfishness. Right. Deliverance from your own addictions, your, your desire to control. Definitely deliverance from sin and its power over your life. Deliverance from Satan and the grip that he has on your life. Uh, deliverance from death and the fact that our lives are finite unless Jesus intervenes. So there's, there's a lot of things that we're saved from, but there's more that we're saved into. When you say a deliverance from sin, uh, meaning that we're now saved from sin, mm -hmm. um, does it, are you saying that once you're saved, once you receive salvation, that you don't sin anymore? Uh, I'll tell you, that's not my experience. <laughs> I've been saved, but I keep sinning. Just ask my wife, you know. Uh, what when kind I of say saved from sin, what I mean is saved from the power, its grip in our life. While we're non-believers, Jesse, sin rules our life. When Paul writes the Romans, he writes about, in Romans 6, about who we're going to serve. 
And he describes it as slavery. And he says, as long as we are under the grip of sin, we're slaves. And what choice does a slave have but to obey its master? All, all who sin are slaves. That's right. Yeah. And when Christ sets us free, we become slaves to a new master. Right. And there, for that reason, we can say no to sin. What it means is that for the first time in our life, we can say no to sin. And up until then, we couldn't. Oh, I see. So once you're born again, you're saved from sin. Mm -hmm. And because now you're a slave to God. Yep. When you're tempted by sin, you're able to resist it. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So you said that if I should ask your wife, she would say that you still sin. What would, you, <laughs> what would your sins be? What would she tell me? You know, I think I'm a typical husband, Jesse. Me She's what? pretty selfish. Are you? You know, and, and by that I mean, you know, it's my wife that's thinking of me and saying, hey, can I bring you something? And I'm not always thinking of her the way that she's always thinking of me. I, I'm blessed. Right. I've got a great wife. And uh, I realize that I, there's sometimes I take her for granted. So is that a sin? I think it's a sign of sinfulness because the, the essence of sinfulness is selfishness. Oh, I see. Self-centered, self-absorption. Well, the first thought that comes to mind is if you're a pastor mm -hmm. and you're teaching people, you know, you're telling people that you, you know, I really have to sin, once you, you know, become a slave to God, I mean, if you're sinning, how do you tell them that they don't have to sin? Um, when we talk about being free from sin, what I'm talking about is how God, by the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to, to resist sin. Right. Now, we're not entirely successful, unfortunately. Why? Because very often we don't depend on God and the power that he gives. We, uh, we live out of our flesh more than we live out of the Spirit. And so a pastor is like any other human being and he yields to temptation, and, uh, and that results in sin. So do you think that when Christ was on earth and he said, yield not to temptation, sin not, was he sinning? Do you think he had some kind of little sins going on in his life? I don't believe that Jesus ever sinned, right. but I do know that he was tempted. And it says in Scripture that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. That, that kind of blows your mind to think, does that mean he was tempted with, uh, you know, the thoughts to steal, to covet, uh, sexual sin? It makes you wonder. Right. But it says he was tempted in every way. But temptation is not sin. Right. It's not sin. It's not you know sin. That. Right. Yeah. But he did not sin at all. I want to go back to just one thing about you and your wife, just so people understand. Sure. So if your wife think of you as a sinner, mm -hmm. that you sin. When she's sitting there and you're speaking to the congregation, yeah. is she judging you? Is she thinking, you know, my husband is telling people not to sin, but yet he yeah. suffers that with me? Or yeah. is she... You know, maybe let me distinguish, Jesse, between being a sinner and being a hypocrite. I'm not sure exactly where you're, what you're thinking or where you're heading with the question, but it's a fact of reality. I don't know if any of your guests have ever told you this, but Jesse, you're a sinner. You know, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And when I say to my wife, I'm a sinner, I could say the same thing to her. And she's not going to flinch because that's a statement of reality that we all are born into sin. We all continue to sin. But my identity, my base identity has changed. And now I'm a child of God. You're a child of God through faith in Christ. My wife's a child of God. So when I say I'm a sinner, my wife knows that uh, I give way to sin even though I shouldn't, even though I don't have to. And so if it becomes hypocritical, if... If I'm acknowledging it openly, it's not a problem. And I do. I'll say that in front of my congregation. I'll say, hey, I'm a sinner. But you know what? That makes me approachable. Because if I'm acting high and mighty, if I'm acting like I never sin, will they ever come to me and talk about their own temptation? Absolutely not. 
They have to know I'm a sinner, but what's the difference between me and the person that's not saved? I know where to go with my sin. Uh, I know where to find forgiveness. So why would, what I don't understand is, why would anyone want to talk to uh, uh, you know, another sinner to tell them how not to sin? So you feel like it's the blind leading the blind, right. in other words, right? <laughs> yeah. How can a person who's still sinning help right. someone who's struggling with it and wanting to be free from it? Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't think there's anybody since Jesus has left the earth that's going to be able to do that. God left the church in the hands of sinners. And uh, what I've found is that rather than connecting to people in areas of strength, we tend to connect to people in areas of weakness. Is that a good thing, though? I think it is, because Scripture even refers to that. It says that we have compassion with people where we've ourselves been tempted. And so if, if I have a problem with alcohol, and I've experienced God's deliverance through that addiction, then I'm going to have compassion with somebody else that struggles with the same thing. But that person that you're helping will look at you as a strong person now. And so they, may very they like wouldn't that. see you as a weak person because they, they know you have overcome and you can help them yeah. to overcome. Yes. They want to know that they, you've experienced some, right. some sort of breakthrough. Right. Otherwise, you don't have credibility. That's, right. that's what you're saying, right? right. I, let, me, let me try to answer your question uh, another way. There is no person that doesn't sin. And if we pretend that we don't sin, that's hypocritical. So it's not hypocritical to say, I don't sin and then sin. It's hypocritical to say I don't sin and act like you don't because we all fall into that very same thing. And so God says just come out with it and acknowledge it before right. him and before others. Right. He says confess your sins to one another. And that is what makes for healthy relationships. It's when we hide it that we have right. unhealthy relationships. Uh, you know, I've often been asked about this scripture. Uh, in the Bible it says that if a person says that he knows me, this mm -hmm. is God, and uh, he sins, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Oh. How would you explain that? Yeah. You know, I'm troubled sometimes when I look at the text like that, and even in 1 John, the epistle of John, it says that. It says, right. whoever believes in God stops sinning. That's right, because right? you can't serve two masters. Yeah. So if you're sinning, you're serving that master. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you're born again, you serve God. He's your master, so you can't serve two. And if you are saying it and said that you know me, you're mm -hmm. lying the truth. Mm -hmm. It's not in you. I have, I have wrestled with that text. I'll admit with you. Right. I'm not sure I've figured it out yet. My sense is, though, that what it's referring to is the, the, the condition of the heart. And what now rules in your heart? Is it the heart, the new heart, the new identity where Christ lives? Or are you still living out of that old heart, what we refer to as the flesh? Right. What rules? What is your... Uh, what is your dominant influence? Uh, the scripture refers to us being changed day by day, glory by glory, ever being transformed into the image of Christ. Right. So we know that, that we are not changed completely at salvation. And I think you know, that gets back to your original question about how do we know if someone's saved? When we're initially saved, we don't stop sinning right there. The process of sanctification follows by which we are transformed little by little, more and more, like Christ, and we, we see ourselves uh, more easily saying no to sin. Um, well, help me to understand, I, I noticed that in the Bible, whenever Christ would heal someone, yeah. he would say, go away and sin no more. You know, he was telling people not to sin, so yep. 
which implies to me that we can live a sin-free Absolutely life. Absolutely right, yeah. But how would it explain what you're saying there? You know, I'll give you another scripture to support that point of view. In uh -huh. Titus, it says that God has given us grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Right. What I'm trying so to then, say. So then we should not be sinning in what we Absolutely. Want to absolutely. And, and the grace that we've received enables us to turn away from sin. Right. You bet. So then what would you say to people who are still sinning once they are born again? They need to be confronted with their sin. But I think they, just like Jesus dealt with that woman, it wasn't a healing when he said that. It was confronting the woman caught in adultery. Right. How did he deal with her? Right. He dealt with her compassionately. And then he gave her the power to leave her life of sin. Right. And that's what we need to do when we minister to people. We make a mistake when we just condemn sin and with them the sinner. As we minister, we need to condemn the sin. But to help that sinner find a new identity, the identity in Christ, out of which they can have the power to leave the life of sin. And sin no more. And sin no more. Let Absolutely. Me, I want to move on from sin, but I want to ask one other question about it. Um, what is sin? Sin is much more than what we think of it. We tend to think of sin as just action, doing something that's wrong or failing to do something that's right. But sin is also a condition. Sin is an, an uh, we call it original sin. It's a, a, a being, a, a sense of who we are. It is being faulted. It's, it's being uh, crippled in our, our very nature. And so it's not just behavior. It has to do with our being as well. We can also think of it as an addiction, uh, a power that is holding us in its grip. And so it, it has lots of different complexions, but it's far more than just something we do or fail to do. Does the Bible say what sin is? Well, everybody tends to think of that Greek definition, harmatia, which means to fall short of the goal, to fall short of, of what we're aiming for. That's a real common definition. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, when I read Genesis, Genesis uh -huh. and I look at the, uh, uh, the fall of Adam mm. when he fell away from God and he became a prideful man, yeah. uh, I get the impression that what sin really is Man, playing, man or woman playing God. Because when you're a prideful person, you tend to think that you are God and you don't need him. Am I, could sin yeah. be, and then in that kind of condition, in that state of mind, you, you tend to do other things, like become alcoholics or mm -hmm. adulterers or yeah. a liar and stuff like that in yeah. a prideful state. Yeah. So am I wrong in thinking that the, the sin is the pride of man, which is of the devil, and if we can get rid of the pride, then we will not sin anymore? I think you're absolutely right when you describe sin as being pride and the impulse of mankind to try to take the place of God. Right. Absolutely. I think that is the heart of sin itself, and, and we do that because of pride. Unfortunately, if we are able to get rid of pride, I'm not sure that we'll get rid of all of sin because there is still more in sin besides pride. And it has to do with that, that nature of our selfishness. How long does it take to be born again? How long does it take to be <laughs> born again? Have you got children? You're, you're married, Jesse? I'm not married, but no, I have children. Yeah, you have children? Yeah. Well, Unfortunately, well. I have one out of wedlock. <laughs> one out of wedlock when I was 19. Oh, yeah. yeah, so. yeah you, but that's a... That's a, a different life, I bet, for you when you look back on it, huh? Yes, to, absolutely. You think you must be a different person now. Yes. 
I'm thinking about birth, and, and that question makes me laugh, because I think, how long, ask a woman, how long does it take to give birth, and she'll probably give a different answer right. from a man, wouldn't she? That's right. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Does it begin the very first time that, that God begins to whisper to us, and he begins to soften our heart? Or is being born again that moment when we, we actually come out of our spiritual womb, so to speak, um, how long does it take to be born again? I, you know, I think it would include that time in the, in the spiritual womb, the time when God is preparing our heart. How, how does one know when he or she needs to be born again? How do they know when they need, right, need to be? Right, of God, yes. You know, I, I think it has to do with somebody looking at their life and realizing something's missing. Something tremendously important is missing in my life and that something has to do with who I am in relationship to God. That is something that has to come by revelation and I think that God uh, is the one who is putting experiences in our life so that we come to grips with ourselves and realize, no, I'm not self-sufficient. I, I cannot make it on my own. I need, I need God. Right. I, I noticed for, for me Salvation came at the blinking of an eye. And the only thing that took so long for me to get there was I was unwilling to admit that I was playing God, yeah. that I had this pride mm -hmm. that separated me from God yeah. and that I was playing him. But the moment I can admit that I <clears throat> played God, yeah. that's when salvation came. You know, I think of it this way as uh, event and process. There is a time when I was born I happen to be a, a, a twin, Jesse, oh, yeah. and, and I can say that there was a moment I was born, and it was 11 minutes after my brother. Are you identical? An identical twin. Really? Yeah, you bet. So how, how do I know I'm talking to the right guy? Oh, you'll have to take no, my okay. word for it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that from being born again. You're absolutely right. There is a point in time in which we cross from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. But I think that we've gotten some, some uh, faulty thinking when we just... Imagine that everything that happened to us that is good from God occurred in that event. I like to think of it in terms of event and process. Just like the natural world, there is an event of conception in which the egg of a woman is fertilized. And then there's that process of development in the womb. There's the event of birth itself, but then there's the process of maturity that follows, right? And spiritually, that happens for us. Everything does not occur for us at that moment we enter the kingdom of God. God has so much more for us in the life that follows, right. in that period, that process of sanctification. Where, where is heaven? Where's heaven? Yes. Oftentimes when Jesus preached, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we were asking him at some point, he would say, oh, it's right here at hand. Um, and he would use the word heaven as a way of indicating God, uh, a kind of a circumlocution. You know, another way of saying God without saying God, the heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is right right at hand. And yet, um, we think of it as a place far away right. where the people who have gone to be with the Lord uh, wait for us. I describe heaven as the place where God dwells. And when we die, if we die in faith, we go to be with God. That's where heaven is, the place where there's no crying, no pain, no tears, so when you say no sin. <laughs> When you say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, do you mean that it's right here in front of us, or 
or I don't know what you mean by at hand. The Bible gives us a paradox. I, I should say Jesus gives us a paradox. And it speaks of the reality of the kingdom in two ways. First of all, it says the kingdom is here. And yet, when you read more fully in the scripture, it says it's not yet. That paradox doesn't make sense to us. How could it be here, but yet not yet here? And yet that is exactly the way the kingdom of heaven is described in the Bible. There is a consummation of God's kingdom yet to come. In other words, we don't enjoy all of its benefits right now. But yet there is a reality in which we truly are in that kingdom once we have been born again. Is it, is it within us? The Bible also said the kingdom of heaven is within. Yeah. Is that true? Jesus said it, so I'm going be, to believe it. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Have you, have you personally experienced the kingdom of heaven within? Yeah. What is yeah. that? What is that for me? It's knowing um, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ uh, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And um, it's experiencing the change uh, of heart so that you are a new person and live more out of his desires than your own. Um, so what did you change from? When did I change? What did you change from? What did I change from? Yes. You know, I don't have a typical testimony. I like to think of um, an illustration a guy named Nicky Gumble used. He says, you know, when you take a train, he's, he's a Brit, he says, when you take the train from London to Paris, he says, if you're awake, you know when you cross right. the, the line between the two countries. But he said, if you're sleeping on the train, you don't know when you crossed, but when you wake up in Paris, you know that you're no longer in London. Right. And I'm not saying I've been, I've been sleepwalking through my, wife, my <laughs> life, but <laughs> um, the change has occurred for me more gradually, Jesse. And there have been many times in which I've committed my life to Christ and I've invited him to be in my heart. But I can't look back and see a dramatic change where it was like once night and now it's day. You know, once it was midnight and now it's noon. For me, it's been a gradual dawning of awareness and a gradual dawning of appreciation of the riches of what God did for me through his son, Jesus Christ. So is that because you pretty much had a, a good life along the way? You know, I, some I, people go through hell, yeah. then the change comes and they know it, but yeah. some don't. So have and you what, pretty much had an easy life? Boy, uh, Compared to some, you better believe I've oh, had okay. an easy life. Uh, you know, when I've been in the middle of my own troubles, I, I, I'm a crybaby, you know <laughs> right, what I mean? And yeah. I, uh, but uh, you're right. I, I was born into a Christian family. My mother and father took all of us kids to church from the very beginning. Yeah. So, you know, Pastor Walter, we're running out of time for this segment. Can you tell people how to get in contact with their phone sure. number or something? Yeah. 30 seconds. All right. If anyone would like to get in touch with us, we're over by Lee High School in Midland, Texas. On uh, Neely at 3309. Welcome to the show. My name is Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I appreciate your letters and phone calls, your suggestions for guests on the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. I'm doing a part two series with Pastor Robert Walters. Walter. Walter. Uh -huh. Walter. And he's with Ava Saviors Lutheran Church in Midland, Texas. Just so we can make sure we give out the information for people who may want to visit your church. 
Uh, is there a phone number or a website yeah. or something you can give? The phone number would probably be the best. Okay. Uh, anybody can call at 694-4517 and area code 432. 694-4517. That's right. Area code 612? Area code 432. Oh, 432. Uh -huh. Okay, we'll do it again hopefully at the end of the show. But a lot of time Thank I run you. out of time. Sure. Uh, we talked about salvation on the uh, last session. I want to talk to you about... Um, um, race relationships, okay. racism and, and that crap. Uh -huh. um, I notice that a lot of white pe preachers are afraid to tell the truth about what's wrong with black folks or when it comes to people like Jesse yeah. Jackson or, uh, or the other black preachers. Mm -hmm. A lot of white preachers allow themselves to, to look like a racist when they say Sunday mornings are the most the segregated, segregated hour. hour of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and they tend to blame white churches for that. What do you mm -hmm. say about that? Wow, that's a big topic, Jesse. Um, I don't know where to start. Um, First, do you think that uh, white churches are deliberately keeping blacks away or, or want them mm -hmm. to stay away? I don't think so. I don't think that whites are deliberately trying to keep blacks away. Well, why don't white preach preachers say that openly? I don't know if anybody's asking them. You know, I, I, uh, I've got a few uh, black brothers in the ministry, and uh, there's one brother right here in town that I've had some heart-to-heart -heart talks with, and uh, I know it grieves him to see the segregation in the church. And uh, for him, racism is his passion. And or I shouldn't say racism, but dealing with racism is his passion. And he was operating under the assumption that everybody had the same passion. It's priority number one. But the fact of the matter is, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, everybody has a different passion. And for yeah. some, it may be abortion. For another, it That's may right. be fighting homosexuality. For another, it may be missions. But I said to him, you know, that may be your passion, and it may be the thing that you're crusading to end, but not everybody's on the same crusade. Right. And so if you have frustration, why, why aren't other churches working with you? That could be why. Um, no, the white churches are not indifferent but I think that they're not as aware of the issue as the black uh, churches, for instance, or Hispanic churches, for instance. We tend to go about our business and we forget what it's like to deal with racism because we're not dealing with it ourselves. So you're saying that the white pastors or white churches don't have to deal with racism so it's not an everyday thing on their mind and as it is with black churches. Yes. So do you think that black people are really dealing with racism, or is it, is it something that is in their mind, but it's not really reality? Hmm. You know, I think racism is a reality. It's not something that has been made up. I mean, we look at the history of the black people in the United States and the fact that not only was there segregation in terms of schools, but there was outright aggression and abuse against black people. That is but, not a myth that can be washed away. I know, but that's been over with for about, what, 40 to 50 years at least. That's true. So that's not the reality today. Well, I think what you're getting at is, are black people living out of a victim mentality? Right. Or is this something that, that it's over and done with? Yes. Well, it's, it's easy for us to live out of a victim mentality, and I think that that may play a part. I, I am a little bit, uh, I guess, hesitant to say exactly, because I'm not an expert. But I know how easy it is to become victims, because I deal with vic people who are victimized uh, for other reasons, and then once they form that identity, 
it tends to shape their perceptions about everything. Right. So I can see how it could happen in regards to racism. But as a pastor, a man mm -hmm. of God, called by God, uh, I mean, wouldn't you be able to see clearly that it's more in their mind than it is in reality? And as a result, are you able to say that to them? Mm. Until I've walked in somebody's shoes, it's a little difficult for me to say what's in their mind and what isn't in their mind. What I like to encourage people to do is to take another look at it, to listen to them very carefully, and to see what, what is the struggle, and then to kind of talk through it and see if there is something of substance or if, in fact, it is something that is a holdover from the past. What do you think the problem is within the black community? Well, when you look at the stats, one of the things that you see that really stands out is the, uh, I shouldn't say the absence, the absolute absence, but um, the near absence of male, strong male role models, right. and the uh, fathers who don't seem to be on the scene. They're not. They're outscrewing everybody and their mama. That's right. And making well, babies I shouldn't say that's right because I don't know <laughs> firsthand, but I hear you. Yeah, but you do know that 70%, at least 70% of black babies are born out of wedlock, right? I didn't know that yeah. exactly. Right. I knew it was very high. Right. And as a result of knowing that, you must understand that that has nothing to do with racism, but the lack of self-control or, Absolutely. or, or you know. Well, that sets up a horrible, horrible um, scenario for those children being raised without a father. Yeah. Because those children wonder, you know, wasn't I loved? Why did my That's father right. not hang around? And unfortunately, this is sad but true, a child gets their picture of God from their picture of their father. And if, if the father is AWOL, then the child begins to assume that, well, maybe God is AWOL. That's right. And when I call upon God, maybe he'll be like my father, nowhere to be found. So as a, a white pastor, and, and I guess you know other white pastors, are you able to say that? out loud, well, you know, look, black folks, if you're having these babies out of wedlock, that has nothing to do with racism, and you're setting up the next generation to doubt God, to really change things. Are you able to say that out loud? I wouldn't have any problem saying that. Okay. And, and the, uh, the black pastors that I know wouldn't have any problem hearing me say that. Now, I've never been offered an opportunity to say that from a pulpit in a black church, though. How about in a white church? Can you say it to white people in a white church? You know, there is a little bit of a hesitancy. I think that's what you might be getting right, at. Because yeah. you think, boy, do you want to come across in a critical way? <laughs> I mean, who wants to have somebody, you know, uh, picking on you that way and then lambasting a whole race of people? And uh, it doesn't come across as a very gracious way. But just a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I preached on the subject of homosexuality. And I just laid out the facts. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is that, that that lifestyle leads to great degradation and suffering. And the same thing is like what you're getting at, not for the same reasons at all, but if there is, if there is a 70% a statistic of fathers who are leaving their, their children, then somebody needs to say something about it. And why would you be hesitant to say it as a man of God? Why would I be hesitant? I think partly you wonder how will it be received. You, you represent Christ, right, as a man of God? That's my intention. Do you think Christ would be hesitant to say that? No, he tended to speak the truth in love. And why he? don't you have that same courage 
I'm not saying, Jesse, that I wouldn't say that. But part of the fact is that I haven't yet been purged of all my imperfections. And so sometimes, sometimes fear kind of uh, raises its ugly head. What do you, think, what do you think God going to say to white ministers and white Christians yeah. who have cowered down to fear and refused to tell black people the truth? Do you think God going to be pleased with the white community? No, and I think he's, he wants to raise up those who will be prophetic and speak the truth. Right. The, the truth that hurts. I, the gospel was not meant to tickle our ears. That's right. It was meant to change our lives. And just like a scalpel, I mean, you go under surgery, it's going to hurt before it heals. Right. And very often the word of truth is the same way. It hurts before it heals. So you do admit to me that not all, of course, but most white ministers have fear of being called racist or looked at as a bad person if they were to tell black people the truth. I didn't actually say that, but now that you're saying it, I would say that is a factor. There oh, is okay. a, I think there is a, a fear that we will be labeled uh, as racist and then dis, what we truly want to say will be disregarded. And can you, can you be born of perfect love, which is of God, and have fear? Well, they, the scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear, doesn't right. it? Right. So, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people who are Christians and they're still living in fear. But well, what would you say, though, to the preachers who live in fear? You know, I've met a lot of preachers who are wounded people. But I'm talking about the white preachers who are afraid to tell the truth to lost yeah. black souls yeah. Yeah. out of fear of being called a name or a label. Are they, are they, do you think that they have perfect love or no? I don't think any of us have perfect love. So how can you be called by God and represent Christ if you don't have perfect love? The perfection that we're called to in the Bible, and that is the word that is used, it, says, it calls us to perfection, right. is the word that means complete. And we're always on that journey towards perfection. We don't receive, God has perfect love, but what happens is that we have almost a filter system operating, and we don't receive all of his love and all of its perfection. It's, we have things that, lies that control our life, that block out that love. So are you telling me that as a, a man or a woman of God that he's given us a portion of his love and all, not all no, his love? No, no. What I'm saying is God has given us all of his love. But you just but said we don't, we don't receive have it all. all. No. Yeah, I did say that. What? I did say that. Because we resist. We don't receive. So our, then, our cup isn't big enough to contain it. Because our heart, our heart is what contains that love. And our hearts have been shrunken by the things that have wounded us in our life, Jesse. And, and that limits that, our carrying capacity. But I don't understand way. how that can be with a, a preacher, though, who's called. That means that God sees something in that person, right? Are you telling me preachers are, are, are perfect people, Jesse? I mean, I mean think I, of the parade of, of scandals we've seen in the ministry. Right, but those are not real preachers, though. Uh, well, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> that's, but that's, isn't that a more of a convenient way to look at it? I mean, let's be realistic. You know, you're asking, will I talk straight to the black person who's saying, woe is me, woe is me. I'm a victim of racism. I guess what I'd like to ask, you know, you or others to consider that we're all working out issues in our life. Right. And we haven't gotten to perfection until we are with Christ and see him face to face. It says, then... We will know him as he is, and then we will become fully who we were meant to be. The Bible tells us to be, be ye perfect 
as, as I, I am perfect, perfect right? Yes. Wouldn't uh, dealing with those issues cause us to become perfect? Let's say that, that the white preacher, and see that the black community is lost, and that the black preachers are not going to tell them the truth. Yeah. And because the white preachers are called by God, they're going to tell black people the truth. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that make you perfect by telling them the truth too? So what you're saying is that if I carry out my responsibility of the prophetic role, that some way will bring me closer to perfection right. because I'm obeying God's command to That's speak right. his word. You could say that. You could say that. But uh, there's so much more to, to moving into perfection. I agree with you, Jesse. We do have a, a prophetic burden to speak the truth. And we have to speak the unpopular truth. That's right. And, and a preacher, if he is concerned about being popular, he might as well hang it up. Right. Because, you know, I think we all, if we're authentically preaching the word of God, know what it's like to take hits, to be criticized, because people don't want to hear what they, what they hear us say. I'll, I'll move on from this, but I have one other question. Go ahead. Um, the white community, the white preachers have to see that the black community is suffering for the most part. They have to see that it has a lot to do with the fathers not being there mm -hmm. and the preachers, the black preachers, not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. how, do they, how do the white preachers rest at night? How are they able to lay their head and go to sleep? and not tell the, the people that they're lost, and here's why you're lost, and this is how you find the right way. How do they let a society of people just go to hell? Okay, so you're asking me, how can the white preachers totally disregard what's happening in the black community and rest in peace? Yes. Is that right? Yes. That's a good question. Um, I have to admit that I am not one who thinks about this issue every day, every week, or even every month. I have you know, a sense of call and a sense of passion where there are things that occupy my mind daily, weekly, monthly. And they are issues that uh, may be just as rigorous, just as demanding, and just as, as necessary to be addressed as this issue of racism. And, and so I, I am partly at fault. I am partly at fault. But, I mean, you do know that most black people suffer not because of racism, but the lack of salvation. They're not born again. Yes. And salvation is your job. You know, salvation you, is my your job. Your title is Pastor Robert Walter. That's right. I mean, it's salvation, right? You, you bring people unto God. So you know that they're not suffering because of racism, but yeah. they need to be born again. They need salvation. Yes. yes. And yet, you say that that's not, you don't see that in a daily, you know, it's not a part of your daily No, it's mission. not. And, and I'm kind of trying to admit very candidly. No, I'm glad. Yeah, I appreciate uh, that. And I'm not trying to propose no, that I I'm like some that. great champion for this cause that I know burdens your heart, and rightly so. Yeah. But uh, when I talk with my, uh, my brothers, and I'm thinking of one brother in particular, when, I, when I, I see his face as I'm talking with you and you ask me these questions, I, I, I feel that burden. But you know what? Can I say this frankly to you? Please, be honest, yeah. I don't think that every white pastor has that calling. No. This may be an issue, and it may be an important issue, for you and for others. But I don't think every white preacher has that issue because just as there are black people that need to be saved, there are Muslims that need to be saved, there are um, children that need to be saved, there are youth that need to be saved, and we can segment the population many ways. And what we find is that a, a preacher has a heart for salvation, but just because he targets one faction or one uh, segment of the population doesn't mean he's neglecting his role to bring salvation. He may have a different passion than what you have. But I don't really, I may know one or two. I think Reverend 
Falwell, he tend, tend to deal with all races uh -huh, of people uh -huh. when it comes to salvation. Yes. But I don't see too many white preachers bringing all people unto God. Yeah. You know, God said, let the you know, one with ears hear, right? You know, Jesse, I think you're right to goose us. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Because we, we tend to forget. We tend to forget how important this issue is. And in doing so, by turning a blind eye, we contribute to the problem. Yes. So I, I hear what you're saying. And I think you're jogging us. You're speaking prophetically to say to all white preachers, when are you going to get involved? Right. Aren't because you? it's a spiritual thing. It's not a color issue. It's just no. that people of the devil has made it a color issue. And so It's a convenient excuse right. to ignore the real problem. Right. So that's why I can't understand how white preachers know this but won't say a word about it. Yeah. Part of it is that we're not given a platform, Jesse. But you have your own church. You have the radio. Oh. You have TV. You have streets. You don't have to be given a platform. Well, it's true. I can speak to my own congregation. Mm -hmm. But isn't that kind of like you know, preaching to the choir? You know, it sounds almost self uh, But they would go promoting. out. See, white people know other black people. So if, my preacher, if you as a white preacher get up and say, you know, black people need to understand yeah. that their problem is not racism. Uh -huh. It's salvation. We need, they need uh -huh. salvation in their life. Uh -huh. They need to be set apart from their so-called leadership and, and go to God then your congregation is going to tell somebody else that when they go out into the world. I see what you're saying. It's a process of education. Right. Let them know that not to fall prey to this deception that everybody's problem in the black community derives from racism. That's right. That makes sense to me. You know, as, as I listen to you, I'm thinking, I, I preached a uh, sermon series on cultural issues and what I called hot potato topics. And I talked about abortion. I talked about homosexuality. I talked about women's role in the, in the ministry. But right. you know what I didn't talk about? I didn't talk about racism. Yeah, they'll talk, white preachers will talk about everything but that issue. Boy, you got me nailed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just think that God is going to ask them, why do you point yeah. that black person toward me? Why do you tell black people they need me too, you know? You know what, I'm going to need to add that to my series. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it has to be done because there's yeah. a lot of people that need help. I need a good and an evil answer from you, All good right. or evil. Go ahead. Uh, Jesse Jackson, good or evil? I don't trust the man. I don't trust the man. And I feel he's a, a hypocrite. So are you asking me to say if he's good or evil? Yes. You know, you're asking me to sin, Jesse, because the Bible says don't judge the nature of the heart. <laughs> but can't you but tell I, by his fruit, fruits? Yeah, I, I, I suspect that he does not work from the heart of Christ. So you can't say good or evil? My tendency is to think that he works more out of the heart of the flesh. David Duke. Good or evil? Boy, I don't know enough about the man, but again, uh, I guess I, I wouldn't lean towards the good. I'm sorry? I'm not leaning towards good. What would you say? I'd say I'd rather not judge a man's heart. <laughs> I don't know where he is today, Jesse. But, so you're not able to recognize good and evil when you see it? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... The Bible says that don't judge. Oh, oh let me ask it, you this. If he it, had a good heart, would he do evil things? No, he wouldn't. If he had an evil heart, would he do evil things? No, he wouldn't. I mean, if he had an evil heart, he would do evil things? If he had an evil heart, he would do evil things. Right. Yeah. So out of Jesse Jackson's heart, uh, I mean, you don't see Jackson as producing good things, right? No, I don't. And I, so that must say a lot about his heart then, right? Yes, it does. And what would you say his heart is? Well, it's not good. Would it be evil? It's important for you to hear me say that word, no, I guess. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It, it looks like it's evil. Yes. But you're not sure? No, it's not that I'm not sure. Again, I guess just what I'm trying to say, the Bible says to be discerning. Right. But it says don't speak in such a way as to condemn another man. But you're not condemning. You're going about what he's, the fruits he's putting out. Are they, uh, do you think he's producing? His, his fruits are evil. And so is it coming from a good heart or an evil heart? It's not coming from a good heart. Is it an evil heart? I'd have to agree with you if that's what you want I to say. I haven't said it yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, aren't I? <laughs> uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Good or evil? Why? Uh, another man that I... I don't trust, I, I, I don't believe what he says, and I think he's more of a, a pretender. And uh, can I give a third option rather than good or evil? Is there a third one? Can I say that there's a real wounded heart there? Wounded heart? There's a real wounded heart there. There's a heart that, that uh, is real messed up. Do God say that we have a third option? or? As far as, heaven good and he or evil. as far as heaven and hell, there's only two options. Right, as far so as whether we serve good or evil, there's only two. So why would you I'm give thinking, a third one? I'm giving a third because I guess I'm trying to give a sense for that. where does evil come from? And I find that when people are, are deeply wounded, they tend to give over to the evil that's already there. Right. I'm, I'm a believer in evil, Jesse, don't me get too. me wrong. I believe in evil. So I, why are you afraid to say, well, this is evil and this is it's good? It's partly what I had shared with you earlier that it, the scripture says that only God can judge the heart. And, and by that, God is saying, it's off limits. Don't be judging the heart because that's my role. But you're discerning the heart, you're not judging. Yes, okay. And there is a difference between discerning and judging right. too. Uh, my discernment is that there is evil in Jesse Jackson's heart, yes. Uh, Charles Manson, you heard of him. Good or evil? Yeah, he's a lot easier to say evil, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I find that easier to say evil. But do you yeah. realize that uh, it's the uh, not so apparent evil that is destroying the nation? Yes, I do. You know, Satan comes sometimes as a lion, but often as a, as a serpent. He right. comes disguised. And I think what maybe you're trying to say is that it's the subtle evil that's more dangerous because we don't recognize it as evil. That's right. Or we recognize it and a lot of people are afraid to say it. They don't want to speak up. Right. And I, it seems as though you're making you a, a good little, point, Jesse. I know, but I you're, know you're thinking like, I'm walking on the fence. Yes. Yeah. Why? You know, I don't have any problem saying that what they're doing is evil. I don't have any problem saying that. But you know, that's enough, Jesse. That's nope. enough to say that this is evil and to call a spade a spade. But Again, what's the difference in what they are doing as being evil than saying that they are evil? Because you, you have to be evil in order to produce evil. Yeah. Um, I think it is important to recognize the evil. Right. And when it comes down to that time where I need to distinguish, for the sake of my flock, this is a wolf, or this is a wolf in sheep's clothing, you better believe I'm going to say it. I don't shy away from that. Right. I have learned that's very important for the safety of my flock, and they will definitely hear from me what's evil and, and, and what, is, what is good. Define uh, judgment for me. Judgment? Yes. You know, there's two words that are translated judgment from the Greek. One is, one is krino. One is hypocrino. Hypo is the word judgment in a way that condemns. And it kind of gets at the heart of what we've been talking about. Right. And uh, everybody always tends to quote that verse, and it may feel like, you may feel like I'm falling into that. They say, judge not, lest ye be judged. And so therefore, people say, well, I'm not going to call what's bad, bad, because I don't want to disobey that scripture. 
But what the scripture is saying there is don't condemn in such a, don't condemn. It doesn't say don't discern. The first Greek word, krino, means discern. Discern right. wisely. And then yeah, it says, right. don't you know that you're going to judge angels? It follows up That's with that. Right. Yeah. So we are called to judge, to assess, to discern. Right. But we are not permitted to condemn. Right. I think that people don't judge because they are afraid of the consequences or they are guilty themselves. And so they say, well, I'm not going to judge. But that's a, weak, that's a weak uh, kind of an excuse, isn't it? It is. It is. But a lot of people tend to do that. Sure I mean, do. I see Justin Jackson, what he's doing, and it's evil. It is. I see Bill Clinton and what he's doing, and it's evil. And I'm not afraid to say those men are uh -huh. evil. Uh -huh. Now, I don't hate them for what uh -huh. they do, yeah. you know, because that's up to God. Yes. But I also, I am able to say they are evil because you can't be good and produce evil. You have to be, you know, one or the other. Do you believe that there's possibility, possibility to be good and evil? No. You don't? No. So it's either one or other, it's one black or, or white. You can't serve two gods. No, you can't. But don't you think that sometimes we do go back and forth? Don't you think there are some people that have a foot in each camp? No. Or, tre or you actually can't cross? You can't ride on a fence. You can't ride two horses you can't. One, two horses at no. the same time. So you either be for one okay. or the other. All right. You know, as I look at my life, I believe that God's given me a good heart. But sometimes I betray that good heart. Yeah. Information how people can get in contact with you. 30 seconds. If anybody wants to get in touch with us, they can call at our phone number, area code 432-694-4517. We're just down the road from Lehigh School in Midland, Texas on Neely Avenue. I really enjoyed talking to you. I did I too, hope you'll come again. Thank you. I'd be glad to. All right. And thank you for tuning in. Tune in tomorrow. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. <laughs>